0: That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.
1: Else.
2: This episode contains strong language and references to sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. In the spring of 2020, a 25-second video on Instagram started to go viral. Mike Tyson was putting in work at a California training session. At 53, Mike looked like he still had it. Tyson training wasn't the big secret. It was how the video ended. His final two words that almost got drowned out by the noise in the gym. I'm back. Folks were shook. Mike Tyson is making a return to the ring. The former undisputed heavyweight champ announced his comeback this morning on social media.
3: Mike Tyson retired at 38 and trying to come back at 53. But I want to know who the fool gonna get in the ring with it. That man is solid. I got chills because
4: I saw flashes of a 21 or 22-year-old Mike Tyson.
2: I mean, it was jaw-dropping. But then I was like, hold up. Something about this feels off. Let's all acknowledge the green-colored elephant in the room. Tyson made hundreds of millions of dollars back in the 80s and 90s. Money that should have been more than enough to support Mike and whatever future generations of Tysons came after him. And after that video dropped, Mike got an offer to jump back in the ring, in his 50s, to fight an exhibition against Roy Jones Jr. And I'm gonna assume the million bucks he stood to earn was a big part of his decision-making. Like, Flashback to Mike's last professional fight in 2005. Kevin McBride, a journeyman, is making Mike Tyson look like a third-tier heavyweight. When Mike gave up in the sixth round. A stunned crowd here at the MCI Center in Washington,
0: D.C. as journeyman Kevin McBride defeats Mike Tyson, who quits on his stool.
2: But it's not the fight itself that stays with me. It's the interview Mike gave afterwards.
3: I'm just sorry I let everybody down. I mean, I just don't have this in my heart anymore. Did you feel as though you had it coming into the fight? Um, no, I'm, I'm just fighting to take care of my, uh, my bills, basically. I know I, I didn't have it in my stomach no more, but I was in dire needs to take care of my life.
1: Mike Tyson was fighting because he needed the money.
2: Boxing journalist Radio Rahim says, the fact that Tyson left the fight game not as a rich dude, but deeply in debt, is a huge part of his legacy.
1: That idea, after the year 2000, after the 90s, after the 80s, Mike Tyson needs the money? It was a, a mind-boggling realization to come to. You wouldn't imagine that this guy could possibly be broke.
2: Now look, I'm not going to say Mike always made the best choices with his money. But Mike's money didn't always make it to Mike in the first place. And Raheem says it's worth pressing pause and thinking about how exactly that went down.
1: Every time you explain why Mike Tyson's broke, you have to explain why Don King is so rich.
2: The relationship between Don and Mike came to define boxing in the 1980s and 1990s. But that relationship was all kinds of messed up. And when it blew up, it blew up spectacularly. From Something Else, I'm Panama Jackson. And this is Power, Don King. Today's episode, The Unraveling.
0: Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that,
2: trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The
0: Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now,
2: wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. No.
2: So let's go back to February of 1990. Tyson gets knocked out by Buster Douglas in Tokyo. It's one of the most shocking big time great gets taken down by an underdog stories in sports history. Like people were getting 42 to one odds to bet on Douglas. And Tyson got dragged for it by the public and even other boxers like George Foreman. The reign of terror is over. Mike Tyson, he can forget it now. All this mistake about him being the toughest guy and he's part animal and all of that, it's dead. And you know, it wasn't that great for Don either. His heavyweight champion that was basically invincible and should have kept earning for him for years suddenly wasn't that invincible. And on top of that, people were out there blaming Don for how things had gone down.
1: All the King's money and all the King's men can't win Tyson the title again. Don King has now ruined another fighter. He ruined Witherspoon, Page, Tubbs, Dokes, Holmes. Now he's ruined Mike Tyson after the reality of defeat settles in then people start pointing fingers there's a lot of problems but the one closest to you the one who is most publicly associated with you and is clearly the biggest influence on your camp on who you fight and when and how even the most trusting person is going to look at who's in control of all this and start asking some tough questions
2: Don, though, he did what he always did. He went back to work and lined up an easy opponent for Mike to prove himself on. Mike knocked him out in the first round. Around this time, Mike was reaching the end of the seven fights he had agreed to do on HBO. So HBO hired Spike Lee to make a documentary about them. Like, see how well we can take care of you guys? Don used the documentary to go off on all the people who were talking shit about him and started spinning this story about how there was basically a conspiracy in the media to break apart the connection between Mike and Don.
3: They want him, number one, to either defect from me because he's, he's being represented by a black man, or number two, they want him to get frustrated and exasperated so that he will self-destruct.
2: Don was like, you're saying I'm the one responsible for Mike Tyson going off the rails? Nah, you're the ones trying to take him down
3: you got to understand that white America has an uncanny way of making the victim the victimizer.
2: In his next fight, Mike knocked out another guy in the first round. And then Don started playing hardball. HBO was offering Don $85 million for the rights to broadcast Mike's upcoming fights. And Don took that offer from HBO and used it to negotiate an even better deal, potentially as much as $120 million with HBO's rival, Showtime. Mike's comeback was on. In March of 1991, Tyson beat Razor Ruddock. Then in a rematch in June, he beat him again. And then everything went to hell. Today in Indianapolis, Tyson was indicted by a special grand jury on charges that he allegedly raped an 18-year-old beauty pageant contestant in July. Tyson was also charged with two counts of criminal deviant conduct and one count of confinement. The record of Mike's violent past with women had been building for years up to this point, from his very detailed public spiral with his then-wife, Robin Givens, to multiple harassment charges. But the consequences of his actions never truly seemed to throw Mike and his career off course in a major way. This time was different, though. The trial of Mike Tyson on rape charges was set to take place in Indianapolis in January of 1992. One of the journalists who came to cover this story was Dr. Joan Morgan.
5: I was a baby writer at this time. I hadn't really been writing for the Village Voice for very long at all. I might've been about maybe 24, 25 years old.
2: Joan had never seen anything like the spectacle of the trial.
5: Tyson was a hero. I mean, there were free Mike Tyson protests outside of the courtroom every single day. And many of the people carrying those placards were women.
2: And then there was the vibe with the other journalists, which was uh, tricky.
5: They're mostly white males, but I think as important, these are all sports writers. They've been following Tyson. They are fans of Tyson. No one wants to see Tyson go down in a ring. Absolutely no one wants to see Tyson get locked up behind bars.
2: Jones says that because the trial was such a zoo, she couldn't get into the courtroom itself and could only watch on closed-circuit TV. The way she remembers it, Don wasn't a huge presence in Indianapolis, but he had arranged for the lawyers that represented Mike. And I mean, they look good in their fancy ass suits. But Jones says when it came to making a case, not so much.
5: You are kind of wondering as you are listening to the defense put together this absolutely pathetic case, like, does Don want Mike to go to jail? Because these people are not lawyers skilled in trying sexual assault and rape cases at all. Like, it came out later that they were tax lawyers. Like, who does that?
2: Mike's main lawyer had once helped Don escape tax evasion charges. He was really good at defending white-collar cases and really expensive. But he had literally never tried a rape case before. Which is not to say that it would have or should have gone differently for Mike with better lawyers, but still. After two weeks of testimony and nearly 10 hours of deliberation, the verdict came down. Joan watched it all from a room packed full of white sports writers. Mike Tyson was guilty of rape and two counts of criminal deviant conduct. Now for Joan, like for a lot of Black folks, that was a complicated moment.
5: I knew it was the right verdict, but my stomach just sank as I heard it because it, it was a great story. <laughs> you know, that boy from, from Brownsville who made it um, and what he was able to achieve was a story in some ways we were all invested in. And Tyson's success in some ways translated to the success of the underdog at a time where Black America is very much in an underdog position itself.
2: Don tried to spend all of this as best he could. He made a tour of the various talk shows that were covering the case, trying to clear Mike's name.
3: Let me say this to you, that uh, I'm not here to bash her or to bash him. These are two youngsters. Nobody knows what happened in that room but them. But it's so many flaws in her story that that wasn't brought to light.
2: I'm just going to cut him off there, because what did Don say earlier? The uncanny way the victim gets made into the victimizer? Yeah, Don goes in hard on that one. But in this same interview, Don also tries to make it clear that whatever Mike did is on Mike.
5: Did you try
3: to counsel him? We always talk, you know, we talk and you get to doing things but when a guy is successful and he's moving right along, it isn't about uh, counseling Mike. Mike has to come to grips and have responsibility
5: for himself.
2: For Joan though, Don did bear some responsibility.
5: I really felt that King was charged with looking out for not just Mike's financial interests and career interests. But, uh, you know, what came through as the trial is that Tyson was a person that needed all kinds of caretaking, if not babysitting, in many ways. And I didn't get the sense during the trial that uh, King cared about that. And if he did, he didn't care enough.
2: A lot of people started having these same kind of thoughts. This is Dick Schap interviewing Don on ESPN in 1992.
3: When you began directing the career of Mike Tyson, he was the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world. He was a hero. He potentially could be the greatest fighter of all time. Now he's lost a fight, he's lost his title, he's lost his freedom. Do you share part of the responsibility for that?
2: Don immediately pushes back. First, he quibbles with some fact in there.
3: Well, first of all, Dick, uh, when I began to promote Mike Tyson's career, he wasn't the heavyweight champion.
2: He goes on and on about how, in fact, Tyson only became the champ after Don showed up, which, fine.
3: Maybe I didn't give you enough credit for building him up, no. but, but the same thing is his fall. I mean, do you feel a bit responsible for that? He obviously is your friend and you do care about him and, and you've seen him take this, this terrible fall. Do you feel that, that you share it with him? I share his hurt with him. I share his pain with him. Uh, but the fall is because it's like it's a well-devised uh, a plan to make him fall because he's no longer uh, capitulating and submitting to what people would want him to do. As Mike Tyson is, is a, is a franchise in himself, and this is all about economics.
2: Don goes on to give this whole conspiracy theory about how Mike is a victim of circumstance and a political prisoner and that all the negative press about him is tied up somehow with Don and Mike's decision to leave HBO to sign with Showtime. But zoom out from that a little bit, and for Don, maybe Mike getting locked up really did come down to economics. I mean, Don was a businessman, and Mike was by far the biggest asset in that business. Hell, Mike was the biggest asset boxing had ever seen. But putting economics at the heart of a relationship can get you caught in serious mess.
5: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover
4: Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
2: Doug Fisher is the editor-in-chief of Ring Magazine, and he says that things started to get a little bit funky between Don King and Mike Tyson during the time Mike was locked up. I mean, Mike had three years to think about all of this.
4: The rape conviction probably put some, some questions in his head, some doubts in his head. As soon as he winds up in jail, you know, there's people who are talking to him saying like, King should have had your back. He's supposed to take care of you. Didn't he tell you that in the late 80s? Didn't he tell you that, that I'm going to take care of you? I, I'm going to look out for you and make sure you, you know, nobody takes advantage of you. So why were you convicted? Why did you wind up in jail?
2: Not only that, with Mike's career on pause, People were like, maybe you should think about working with somebody else after you get out, like me.
4: Everybody in the boxing world was visiting Tyson while he was in jail. You know, he was like the the mafia boss in jail, you know what I mean? Everybody wanted to come by and see him and kiss the ring because everybody was anticipating. Like when he gets out, he's going to be a free agent. Doug says
2: all kinds of folks wanted to do business with Mike.
4: From James Brown to Magic Johnson to uh, who's the guy who owned the, the Mirage Casino, Steve Wynn. They wanted to be involved with the comeback of Mike Tyson.
2: But Mike seemed to want to stay, if not loyal to Don, at least in business with him. And when big name journalists like Ed Bradley would come to prison to interview him, Mike would insist he knew what he was doing with Don.
3: Now Don, King, Don King is just like anyone else. Anybody else is in big business, he's competitive, he competes with them, and he's the best at what he does, whatever it is. You know what I mean? He broke all the records, all the, the P.T. Zig Zigfield records. He, you know what I mean? He, he breaks all those records. And he's, and he's ornery and he's arrogant. You know what I mean? He says, well, he's not under control. You don't control him. You can't say, well, Don, you take this and you do this, but you got to take it. You know I mean, he wants, he wants the American way. He wants to be, get the equal share of the pie.
2: It was like Mike couldn't hear the question, or didn't want to.
3: Does he take advantage of it? You know what? Everyone uses someone. He uses me, I uses him. The worst thing, we never misuse one another. We respect one another. Don is my man, and that's what it is to it.
2: Whenever the question got put to him about whether he should break things off with Don, like in this interview with Star Jones, Mike's answer was always the same.
3: I'm telling you, people are here still, still know, they don't know our relationship, you know what I mean? I love the guy more and more every day.
5: So you haven't broken your relationship off with Don. You're still friends. You're still close. Absolutely.
2: And Don, he stuck to the same script. Don, how would you characterize your relationship with him?
3: I would characterize our relationship as being friends, comrades. So we are friends. We got a business arrangement that, that emanates. Without the friendship, he wouldn't be doing business.
2: The reality, though, was a little trickier than that. Mike got released from prison on March 25th, 1995. Surrounded by bodyguards and ushering him out of the facility and into a limo stock with Don Perignon was Don King. They flew back to Ohio in a private jet. Now, Mike had converted to Islam while he was locked up, but Don didn't seem to care much about that. This is what Mike wrote about the coming home party Don threw for him in his memoir. Quote, He had invited all these people who I had no connection to and he catered the event with lobster, shrimp, and pork, and champagne. Real appetizing stuff for a Muslim. I kicked everyone out of the house, including Don. When Don came over the next day, I fired him. End quote. But then, fast forward to the press conference Mike gave five days later.
3: I will fight again. And I want to confirm John and Royal Holloway as my managers. And besides being my closest friend for many years, John and has given me great advice in my professional career and they will continue to be my managers. I also will confirm that Don King will continue to promote my fight. Don is the greatest promoter in the world, as we know, and I have chosen Showtime to be my television network."
2: Mike felt how he felt about Don at this point, but at the same time, Don represented Mike's best chance at the big payday he needed to get back on his feet. Now. When Don got asked about all this, he said the fight between him and Mike never even happened in the first place. Did you spend that night before the press conference
3: trying to convince Mike to stay with you, Don? No, it was nothing to convince him about. I mean, this is, again, the wishful thinking for those who would say that this, that, another happened, but it's time now that the American public should be uh, brought to their awareness that they were all lies, unadulterated, unmitigated lies.
2: And whether it was undying friendship or just financial convenience. Don and Mike didn't waste any time getting Mike's comeback started. Less than five months after he walked out of prison, Mike was back in the ring. Within a year, he had reclaimed the WBC belt. Not long after, he got the WBA belt too. And then he fought Evander Holyfield. Nah, I'm not talking about that Evander Holyfield fight. That came a little bit later. First, Mike fought Holyfield and just straight up lost. It was the rematch with Holyfield you're probably thinking of.
5: Ladies and gentlemen in attendance and boxing fans joining us around the world, it is a showtime.
2: The one where Mike, you know.
5: Oh my goodness,
2: he's got a bloody right ear. Took the chunk out of Evander's ear with his teeth.
3: What I can't believe what I'm seeing.
2: That fight set off this whole chain of events that would completely upend the relationship between Don and Mike. Boxing journalists Radio Rahim and Doug Fisher say that, first of all, obviously, people were pissed about what Mike had done in the ring.
1: I mean, talk about a fall from grace that was a black eye on the sport of boxing. It was something that seemed unforgivable.
2: Mike got his boxing license suspended and the fallout continued to spread.
4: Don King's reputation took a hit. Tyson's reputation took a huge hit. Boxing took a huge hit. I mean, big. A lot of the mainstream media pulled away from boxing. It had that kind of impact.
2: On top of the public image issue, Mike also still had this other problem, money. He had started blowing massive amounts of cash basically the day he got out of prison. New houses, new cars, a couple of tigers. And he needed to keep making bank to pay for that lifestyle. But with no boxing license, he had to find a new way to make cash fast, which led him to... The World Wrestling Federation. Professional wrestling. Mike Tyson may have been damaged goods in the boxing world, but that didn't really matter to the WWF.
1: Nobody loves misfits more than professional wrestling.
2: More importantly,
1: Mike Tyson has name recognition. He is a still incredible athlete and people will show up to see him do just about anything inside a ring. Like everybody else is making money off the rise and fall of Mike Tyson. Why shouldn't Mike Tyson at least make some money off the fall?
2: Mike signed a deal that was supposed to make him three and a half million bucks. He made his debut on WWF Raw, getting into a shoving match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. 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 Mike was pretty good at it. But here's where we get to the next link in the chain of events that started with Mike Biddy Vander Holyfield's ear. A little problem that cropped up around the money for his WWF appearance.
1: And so here he is in the WWF playing his role as the villain and comes to find out that he can't make his entire check unless the WWF pays Don King, who has nothing to do with this exhibition whatsoever, to the tune of $300,000 for an event that he is absolutely not involved in
2: Raheem says that among all the contracts Mike had signed for Don over the years was one that granted Don a right to Mike's likeness. As in, you want to use a picture of Mike in your WWF poster, well, you're going to need to pay for that. And the person you're going to need to pay is
1: Don. Mike Tyson can't be Mike Tyson without somebody paying Don King. That is a hell of a wake-up call. That will make anybody take a look at the books.
2: Mike reached out to a producer and talent manager he knew named Jeff Wald to get him help to go over all the paperwork that had accumulated over the years between Mike and Don. According to Mike's memoir, what they found was not pretty. In addition to his fee for promoting his fights, Mike says, quote, Don was also taking 30% of my purse money, which was illegal. Don was also helping himself to 30% of the bonus money from Showtime and MGM Grand, end quote. Tens of millions of dollars that should have been going to Mike, instead going to Don. On top of that, Mike says Don was paying members of his own family out of Mike's money. Consultant fees of $100,000 to Don's wife, $50,000 fees for Don's two sons, $1,000 $1,000 a week to his daughter to be the president of the Mike Tyson fan club. Mike says he even turned out to be paying for the maintenance of the swimming pool at Don's mansion in Las Vegas.
1: Mike Tyson might have been the last person to
4: realize that Don King was a crook.
2: But once he finally did, Mike started cleaning house.
4: I think he really had took a hard look at the people around him and, and started thinking, are these people my friends? Or are they like babysitters, you know, Don King employed babysitters? I know I'm giving them money, but, you know, are they also on Don King's payroll? Are they just here to spy on me? Are they just here to help King manipulate me? Or just to help King keep an eye on me all the time?
2: Mike fired his co-managers and longtime friends, John and Rory. He fired his accountant and attorneys that had all been Don King people. Because of the contract Mike had signed, firing Don himself was not that easy. But there was one move Mike could make. On March 5th, 1998, Mike sued Don for $100 million, which honestly uh, might not have even been enough. But you got to know by now that getting money back from Don King is never easy. While the lawsuit dragged on and on, Mike staged yet another comeback in the ring. But neither the boxing or the lawsuit were really going all that well. Whenever Don was asked about it, he was like, Come on, look at what I was paying Mike and look at what Mike's making for fights now.
3: So, you know, i made this guy so much money and with the kind of a deal that we had, you know, I I, I couldn't believe what he was doing. So he leaves. Now he says he's penniless. When he left, he didn't owe nobody any money. Everything he had was paid for.
2: I mean, the IRS sure thought Mike owed them money and so did the banks. But all right, Don. Every so often, Don would reach out and be like, Mike, There's got to be a way we can work this out. By 2003, five years after he had first filed the lawsuit, Mike was in pretty rough shape financially. This is what he wrote in his memoir about the uh, negotiating tactics he and his business manager Jackie Rowe tried on Don. Quote, I was consumed with getting money. I couldn't wait years for the lawsuit to play out. I needed money right then. I had Jackie talk Don into buying me three Mercedes Benzes. We were playing Don, telling him that if he'd come through with cash and cars, maybe I'd drop the lawsuit. So Don would set up a meeting, thinking he could fool me into signing some new agreement to settle the case for peanuts, and I'd wind up robbing him or beating him each time. End quote. At one point, Don takes Mike on a private jet down to Miami. Mike says Don offered him $20 million to settle the lawsuit and let him promote Mike's fights again. The way Mike always told it in interviews, he didn't react so well to that deal.
3: On the plane, I start doing some cocaine, and and I'm broke. I don't have a penny. Once I do the cocaine, and then it, um, it percolates, I say to myself, Don is dissing me. He said, "This is my motherfucking plane." He's sending my plane with the money still for me to pick me up. That's some bitch shit. I have all this festering up by the time I get land in Miami.
2: Plane lands they get in Don's Rolls Royce with Mike in the back seat. Once they're on the highway, Mike says he starts kicking Don in the back of the head.
3: I like am in the back and I can't get him the way I want to because I'm in back of him and I'm in the car. So I wanted to get out and so as soon as I let him go, he ran the car, so I tried to run the car, so he did another back turn and <laughs> got back in the front and drove off and left me on the highway. Oh, he oh, left you. Left me on the highway, oh. yeah!
2: Don, we should say, has always denied this version of events and interviews. There was a report, which I can't confirm, but a report that at one point he either hit you or kicked you or both.
3: No, he didn't do that. But what he did do, he was acting like he is. He's an urchin from the ghetto. I'm an urchin from the ghetto. You know what I mean? He never assaulted you. Know, you. You. you know, well, no, he didn't assault me. You know, what he was trying to assault, you know, it's just well, like he's, a little... He's, a person he, he, all excited, you know what I mean, and trying to, uh, you know, be naughty. He's a naughty boy. He's, he's suing you. I'm sure
2: you <laughs> a few months after that Miami trip, Mike declared bankruptcy. Radio Raheem says Mike got really close to finally having his day in court with Don, or forcing Don into a big payday.
1: Even... At the 11th hour, it was expected that Don King would have come to the lawyers and offered $60 million, at a minimum, just because the case was so airtight. Mike Tyson would win that case, but he needed the money so bad.
2: And Don knew when he had leverage. After all, he had been through this exact same process with all kinds of fighters before Tyson. Muhammad Ali, Larry Holmes, Tim Witherspoon— Don did finally settle with Mike, but on his terms. Instead of the 100 million Mike was trying to get, Don ended up paying Mike just 14 million.
1: He got just enough to pay his lawyers (laughs) for suing Don King. Like he didn't even completely get out of debt and Don King retained what in my estimation is at a minimum $85 million that he owed Mike Tyson.
2: And that is, I guess, the end to the saga of Mike Tyson and Don King. But there's this one other story that Rady Rahim told us that so perfectly encapsulates kind of everything about how it all went down that I'm just going to throw it on here at the end.
1: The first time I met Don King, I was invited by Don King to Morton's Steakhouse in Los Angeles.
2: This was in 1999, right in the middle of Mike's post-Holyfield comeback in the whole Mike and Don lawsuit drama. All these big-time boxing journalists were there to eat the free steaks Don was giving out and listen to his spiel about whatever new fight he was promoting. While they ate, Don took questions, but not from Raheem, who was just getting started in the game.
1: I'm so far down the totem pole at this point that I don't even get to ask my questions during lunch.
2: And the things that the other reporters were asking were just the easiest softballs Don could have ever seen.
1: It was almost offensive because in the back of my mind the whole time, even while we're eating, I'm thinking of what this man is responsible for and the tragedy, as I see it, that Mike Tyson is experiencing at the hands of Don King's corruption and how he could just so completely oblivious, answer questions about anything else and seem incredibly happy with himself and proud, no shame whatsoever. And nobody taking him to task for that. And after we stand up from the meal, eh, Don's like, you know, glad handing and waving flags and doing the thing. I sidle up with my camera guy in tow, my little scrappy camera and microphone. And I really don't know until that very moment what I'm going to do.
2: But Raheem is like, I mean, somebody's got to do it.
1: And I ask him pointedly, how do you answer allegations made by former fighters, in particular Mike Tyson? But he's not alone in accusing you of having robbed him and left him penniless after a multi million dollar career. And Don King says to me, Mike Tyson is about to fight for $5 million. When Mike Tyson was with me, Mike Tyson fought for $20 million. Now, I might have stole half, but would you rather all of your five or half of your 20? To this day, it's the best and worst answer I've ever received from anybody.
2: Next time on Power, Don King.
1: It
0: happened in 2008 when Roy Jones uh, left him. He didn't have a star after that.
4: There was a sense of desperation, There was a sense of the kingdom kind of crumbling.
0: I wish that Don would have had the foresight to see what was going in front of him. It was sort of like the writing was on the wall.
2: Remember, this episode doesn't finish here. If you want more, then join me for The Roundtable, the weekly power after show. Every week, me and some friends spend some time breaking down each episode, sharing our thoughts and asking questions There's so much to unpack with this story, so pull up a chair and join us on the roundtable. Unlock past and future episodes by visiting the Power Show page on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page. Subscribers will also get access to all episodes of Power completely ad-free. As always, thanks for listening. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show was hosted by me, Panama Jackson. Our producer is Tiffany Walker. Associate producers are Kyra Asabe Bonsu and India Witkin. Our editor is Keith Romer. Mixing and sound design by Will Short at Spoke Media. Fact-checking by Natsumi Ajisaka and production management by Jennifer Mystery. Our consulting producer is Radio Raheem. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. Our theme song is by Nolan Schneider. Special thanks to Grant Irving and Steve Ackerman.